That was a really beautiful sound. Um, amen. I love worshiping with uh, Breno. Um, um, and just, yeah, I feel like the heart they carry, the sacrifices that they've made to come to New England is significant. And that sacrifice, I feel like, intermingles in the worship. Um, so, love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Just reminded me of... Uh, <laughs> we were in Wilmington we were doing 10 days and there was this group that like wouldn't leave it was outside in a tent and there was this group that wouldn't go home and um, these people were getting like they were getting messed up in a good way and then there'd be like worship bands that would come in from outside and they were great but um, they just weren't saturated you know and um, so this group of us that were there it was it was the most amazing things because usually the worship band is like leading the people into worship, right? What was happening is there's about 30 people right up in front of the stage that are just worshiping, and the band is like confused, like, <laughs> like, like, because <laughs> they're gonna like they're like at a completely different level than the band, and then the songs start to come out of the people who are worshiping in the front. It's like, and the band's like. What do we do? Um, and um, I just love that. <laughs> Not sure what the point of that story was, but I like that story. Um, but I think I, I'll, I'll tie it in. I, I felt like Breno and um, I felt like you guys were sensitive to that dynamic and really went with it. Um, and this other band was just kind of like confused, like, oh, what are we? Oh, we'll just keep going. But anyway, so I just love that when the Lord begins to move like that. Um, during the. Um, uh, outpouring that happened in Azusa Street. That was a very common phenomenon. It was like almost heavenly music with no no one leading, no musicians, but just this song that would come forth. And the people that were there said they'd never ever heard anything like it again. And it was almost, yeah, it was a heavenly song. So we're doing good. Um, the Lord keeps reminding me this is his thing and so if we fall behind on the schedule that we have that it's all good um, if you have your folder there's just this little long document here it's called uh, 10 days key themes scriptures and emphases and um, I wanted to just take about 15 or 20 minutes to explain this and walk through it with you this is like people ask me all the time is there a prayer guide for 10 days and um you know, I think they're thinking like a nice trifold with some pictures and uh, maybe some prayer things. And, and we don't really have a, a prayer guide like that per se, but this is this is like a prayer guide for 10 days. This is what are we doing? You know, a prayer guide answers the question, what are we doing? Right. And this answers the question, what are we doing during 10 days of prayer? Um, I know we have some new folks. So just to summarize, 10 days came out of reckoning with Jesus prayer in John 17. And our, our vision is to see cities around the globe stopping from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur in order to focus on Jesus, in order to worship Him, in order to mourn for Him, to fast, to repent of our sins, and for Him to come and change and bring His kingdom to earth. Um, and so that's the, that's the purpose of 10 days. It's part of a global movement of prayer. And we've been hearing from other leaders 
um, in that global movement. And so I'm just going to I'm going to run through this document really quick and you have it always. I mean, I know it's probably going to end up like in the back seat of your car, like smushed under the seat, but it'll Howie, thanks for that. But it'll it'll be there. You know, you'll be you'll know God will bring it to mind. But but you have it in paper and it's also available at 10 days.net. Um, so God gave me this phrase, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before I return. And so I'm just going to unpack that. So this is a, a bit of a, you know, people hear that and they're like, that's weird, right? That's like the, probably the most normal reaction. I feel that was a normal reaction because that was my reaction. I'm like, that's weird. That's a weird thing to say. It's um, someone once joked, he said, oh, I didn't know about the apocalyptic backstory of 10 days. And it really is, it's apocalyptic in the sense of it's a reference to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 18. So when God speaks in a mystery or speaks in a cryptic saying, a lot of times that's an invitation to unpack something, right? It's like he's speaking in a poem, and poetry is very dense language. It's meant to be chewed on, meditated on, and unpacked. Um, And so I'm going to specifically unpack and think about um, some of these phrases, especially the word mourn. Before I do that, um, first I'll start with Babylon. So Babylon is a reference to the world system that is separate from the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? So this system of Babylon, which includes, you know, it's you could think of it as it's a seven mountain. It includes all aspects of society, family, religion, government, finance, all these different entertainment, refuses to submit to Jesus Christ, and it refuses to mourn. That means, that's another way of saying it refuses to repent, it refuses to acknowledge loss, it refuses to engage in voluntary suffering. It says, no, this is good, we're good, we like this, we're fine, we don't need you, Jesus, we're good. Um, I, my, one of my landlords back in Santa Fe had this bumper sticker that said, born okay the first time, right? So, like, you know, not born again, but born okay the first time. And that's, and that's kind of the attitude of Babylon. It's like, hey, no, this is fine, we're good. No help needed. Um, but God is saying, my people will mourn. I think my people is a reference certainly to the church, right? I think there's also a reference here to the Jewish people. And Grant's going to be unpacking that also a little bit later. Also God's covenant people. Um, so this is speaking of mourning. And I'm going to unpack what it means to mourn before the Lord returns. So mourning is not particularly a great word. It's not really how you start a ministry. You know, it's like... <laughs> So this is a conversation I've had many times, especially in the early days. Jonathan, we love 10 days. We love the unity. Can we get rid of the mourning? It's like, I don't know, guys. <laughs> what do you want me to do with this? It's my, it's my baby. I know my baby isn't pretty, you know, but we've got, you know, you can't choose your kids. This is, this is what I got. It's called a mourn. So we cannot do it, but I, I, mean, I can't like just decide we're not going to mourn. I mean, that's the, that's the call. Um, so I think it helps a lot of times as you're calling people to this, you know, it's like you can sound like you're uh, the prophet Jeremiah or something, which would be fine, but, but is to unpack what it means to mourn. So I think we mourn because of something we don't have, right? You don't mourn when everything's okay. You don't mourn when you have everything you need. You mourn because you've lost something or someone that you need or that you love. 
And we mourn because we don't have something that we desperately need, we love greatly. Um, We mourn because of loss, absence, suffering, right? So in God saying, my people will mourn before I return, he's saying, my people are going to acknowledge what they've lost, what they're missing, what they're, you know, they're suffering. There's going to be this, this lamentation, this cry that comes up from the earth um, before the Lord's return. Um, mourning is also, to put it in another way, it's about humility, right? When you're mourning, you're not in a posture of pride. Um, and there is a simple way to guarantee God's opposition to you, right? It says God opposes the proud. So if you want to be opposed by God, just move in pride, right? You're guaranteed opposition. That, that goes for all of us. The moment we step into pride, we're stepping into resistance that's from God. But he gives grace to the humble, right? So if we want to step into a place of receiving his grace, all we have to do is step into humility. Does this, does this make sense? This is how he's designed it to work. And so mourning is about stepping into humility. Uh, we do that in multiple ways, through fasting, right? Fasting is a way we humble ourselves. Uh, in fact, in Matthew 9:15, Jesus uses fasting and mourning interchangeably. They're, they're synonyms. Uh, prayer and worship, right? When we're praying, we are entering into humility. When we're worshiping, we're acknowledging who God is. We're focused on him. That humbles us, right? Uh, when we confess sin, when we repent, that's humility. Um, when we express our need for one another, unite, that's expressing humility. And when we, when we rest from our normal activity, that's a way of humbling ourselves. So 10 days is designed to be just a, an extravagant offering of humility to God. Can you imagine if our cities would humble themselves before him like this? The great, like just, just keep that. Equ- it's like an equation. He gives grace to the humble. You can't humble yourself and not get grace from God. It's it's gonna happen, right? And when we do it together, it, it just amplifies it, creates that low pressure system um, that attracts the grace or the rain of God, right? That's where it rains, right? Where there's a low pressure system that attracts the grace. And so that's what we're creating in cities during 10 days. We're creating a spiritual low-pressure system that attracts the grace of God. Um, so mourning is also about desire. So I'm just giving you different ways to think about mourning here. For me, you know, it helps just to look at something from multiple different ways. So Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. So in calling people to mourn, we're actually calling for desire to be awakened in God's people, in his people. Does that make sense? Why would God want to awaken desire? Because the way God has set up the universe is that he's delegated the earth to human beings. Right? Even when when God wanted to redeem the earth, he became a man. Um Scripture says that the heavens belong to the Lord, the earth he's given to men. So that, so even though God is the creator of all and he could just scrap everything and start over, he respects the, the way he set things up. And he really wants to work in partnership with us. That's the way he's ordained it. That's why prayer is so important. And so he wants to awaken desire in us 
because that desire, as we read in John 15, 17, is the channel for answered prayer. Does that make sense? When, when, when our desires are awakened for the things of God, that's faith starting to be awakened, right? He tells us what we should want. He, he, he reveals it to us in the scripture. Our desire gets awakened for that. And then that's faith that becomes a channel for the grace of God to come to the earth. So as we humble ourselves, as we posture ourselves in humility, as we meditate on his words, as we remain in him, our hearts will begin to bring forth holy desires um, that emerge from a union with his heart. And then that's going to release the Father's answers to begin to come. Does that, does that make sense? This is, this is kind of like back, you know, almost like a little bit of a theology of prayer in a way. Uh, but this is why we want to see this happen during this time. And um, when we do it all together, it's in unity. It just amplifies it. This is just kind of like a homework assignment, all right? Go through Scripture and look at every time God brought a great deliverance to his people. Okay? So think of, you can think of a few big ones, right? Like the Exodus, sending Jesus... The book of Judges is basically one deliverer after another, right? Look at what comes before every single deliverance. There's always a cry that comes first, okay? It's always in response to something. It's always in response to something. Read the history of revival, okay? Find an outpouring of the Spirit that didn't have a cry preceding it, okay? So what we're doing with 10 days is we're entering into God's rhythm um, to release a cry on the earth that the Father can't help but answer, right? An extraordinary cry from the earth that the Father can't help but answer, leading to great deliverance. Now, what do we do during 10 days? I, I call this three kinds of mourning. So first of all, this is a personal time of mourning. Um, and you can call that repentance, right? Um, initially, I thought of repentance as basically just confession of sin, and in my mind, I had this formula. Uh, it wasn't, I wouldn't have said it quite like this, but this is what it was, maybe, in fact. Of we repent, i.e., confess, and if we do that enough, then revival will come. You know, and the reason revival hasn't come is we haven't confessed, we haven't been real enough, we haven't, you know. And I think that's, you know, there's some value in that, but that can easily become a very workspace thing where we're just trying to gin things up. I think. Um, it's not about beating ourselves up, uh, whipping ourselves into a frenzy, but repentance is, is really a change of our mind or a turning away from sinful behaviors. That's what the words literally mean in Greek and Hebrew. In Greek, it literally means to change your mind. In Hebrew, it little, literally means to turn around. Um, and so as we sit with the Lord, as we humble ourselves in his presence, he's going to give us ways to repent. He's going to reveal things to our heart. He's even going to deal um, with those hidden faults, just as the scripture says, cleanse me of hidden faults, O Lord. Right? So he's even going to deal with the stuff we don't know is messed up in us. When you do 10 days, when I do 10 days personally, usually in the first day, I've already dealt with everything I'm, I'm aware of. Right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I need to stop doing that and... Yeah, that was bad. Uh, you know, it's, it doesn't take too much time hanging out with God to get through some of that stuff. But it's those hidden things, right? Our hearts a lot of times are like a minefield. 
We don't even know what's in there, right? And so this is an opportunity for God to to just go in deep. Um, I compare it to this. I, I say, you know, this is not a fill-up with gas. This is not an oil change. This is like God's bringing you into the shop and and He's saying, hey, just leave it, leave it for a while. Leave it for a few days. I'll call you. <laughs> this is going to be a while. And and in doing this, we're enabling the Lord to have space to really do that deep work that He does of maturity. Because the goal for us personally and corporately is the image of Christ, right? That we would look like Jesus. That's our goal. And when we look in the mirror, a lot of times that's not what we see, right? And so these extended seasons of time with Him are when He can begin to do that deep work that begins to cause us to look, smell, act like Jesus. Okay? So 10 days is a time for personal repentance. And... It's also a time for intercessory mourning. It's a time to intercede. Daniel 9, Daniel reads that it's time for the exiles to come back. And as he reads that, he doesn't conclude, awesome, God, you've got this. What does he begin to do? He begins to cry out to God, right? Just like we see throughout Scripture. Before there's a great deliverance, there's a cry. He begins to cry out to God with mourning for his people Israel and fasting. And God brings about a great deliverance and the exiles return to Jerusalem in agreement with God's promise and in agreement with Daniel's prayers. So, during ten days, we focus on four major promises of God that remain unfulfilled. So this is our intercessory mandate in prayer. We ask God that the gospel would go to every nation and ethnic group. And there's, there's scriptural support for all of these Um, in the document. We ask for an unprecedented, supernatural John 17 unity in the body of Christ. A full manifestation of an answer to Jesus' prayer. We ask for a global outpouring of the Holy Spirit in agreement with Joel 2.28 and 30. Um, I know that that began at Pentecost, but, but, you know, I think like many of us, we believe that there's, we're in the midst of similar things and that even greater things are in store, Right? Um, I remember the, when I first started to realize that, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then I start meeting people, and I'm like, oh, everybody knows this. That's <laughs> cool. Uh, but it is amazing as well. And finally, there's going to be a, a widespread salvation of the Jewish people, among the Jewish people. Uh, there's going to be a move of God in Israel. So those are four big theological things that we pray for. And we're going to be hearing from people during the summit who are going to talk about each one of those things. We're going to be hearing from people who share about issues of personal repentance, where we're still entangled with Babylon. We're going to be hearing uh, from people who talk about those four different themes um, of John 17. We've already shared about that, Um, of the nations, the gospel going to the nations, of the Jewish people of Israel, and of uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And finally, and most importantly, mourning and desire this desire that God is wanting to stir up in His people, my people will mourn before I return, is about the return of Jesus. I remember in the early days, you're a unity movement. 
Why are you talking about Jesus coming back? Well, it's just what we do. I think. I mean, that seemed to be the thing. It's not very unifying to talk about the return of Jesus. Well, okay. So what, what, I, what I've sought to do in our expression of this is to just say, Jesus is coming back. We all say the Apostles' Creed. We all believe it. We can have different theologies and ideas about how. I have my own perspective. That's great. We should have our perspectives. But we can agree that Jesus is coming back. Secondly, we're supposed to ask for him to come back. That's weird to people. Why would you pray for Jesus to come back? It's kind of the same idea of why would Daniel pray for the promise to be fulfilled? Because that's how God works. He tells us what he wants to do. And then he says, ask me. Here's what I want to do. Ask me. Like that's, you know, in a marriage, like I've found that's key to success in your marriage, right? <laughs> I, I ask, you know, when we have holidays or, I, you know, my wife's birthday or something, I'm like, honey, how do I win? Tell me. What constitutes success on Mother's Day? I don't know. I'm really bad at this. But if you'll tell me, I will do it, right? And the Lord, he knows we're not that smart, right? Right? Okay. So he's like, ask me for this, and I'll do it. He tells us what he wants us to ask for. And when we ask for it, then it releases him to do it. Does that make sense? Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm glad we don't have to figure it out. We just have to ask you for what you've told us to ask you for. So we're to ask him to come back. The last prayer in the Bible is a prayer for Jesus to return. Come, Lord Jesus. It's not a dinner prayer. It's a prayer for him to come back, right? (laughs) The Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for God to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, which happens when, when the Lord returns, right? We're to eagerly desire His return. One of the names for believers um, in the early church was those who long for the day of His appearing. Right? It's like so core to our identity. It's a name. We're longing for Him to come. And during this season, this 10-day season, God is wanting to stir up that desire in His saints. Um, Who wants to get married? Right? Like, you know, we've got some young people here. Right. All right. Thanks, young people. Young person. I used to be a young person. They used to be like, oh, Jonathan's here. We have the young people. And then, I don't know, like it was about five years ago, they were like, Jonathan, uh, well, maybe, maybe not anymore. So you enjoy it while you can. You know, it's, it's fleeting. Um, so when you're, when you're about to get married, imagine as a husband that you're, you're marrying a woman and you go to her and she's like, yeah, I want to get married too. Five, ten years, how does that sound? Maybe 15? You know, you're, you're thinking, whoa, no. I don't know if you're, you know, the real thing there is she's not ready to get married, right? She's not ready. But when you, when you decide to get married, when you want to get married, there's a longing that happens that's mutual, right? Where the husband is desiring the bride, the bride is desiring the husband. That's part of the beauty of marriage is that mutual desire that's unfolding. And it's the same with the church. The church is not going to get married in a state of, oh Lord, um, could we put it off 10 years, 15 years? There's so much great stuff going on here. 
The church is going to get married from a place of desperation and longing for Him where the desire of earth is going to match the desire of heaven. And we're equally yoked. We're equally yoked, right? We're a fitting partner back to Genesis for Jesus. So that's what God is wanting to do during this 10-day time period. He's wanting to uh, bring us into a time of humility, a a low-pressure system over our city. He's wanting to deal with us personally, to bring out the character and righteousness of Christ in us. He's wanting us to intercede for the things He's already said He wants to do. And He's wanting to stir up this, this intense longing and desire in His saints, in His church, which is part of the cry, right? Now, I'm not saying like, I know when Jesus is coming. Please don't mishear me. But I'm saying everything God does in history, He does in partnership with human beings. And the return of Jesus, I think, will be similar. Okay? Just based on everything else we read in Scripture. There's a cry, and then there's a great deliverance. So He's listening for a sound from the earth. That's part of His divine plan. That's part of His foresight. Um, and it's, it's going to be something that He responds to, where the heart of God is drawn to the heart of His bride. Even like it says in Luke 18, you know, to that you should always pray and not lose heart. That will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him night and day, right? It's the same dynamic. What is ultimate justice? It's when the kingdom of God is established. It's when Jesus returns. So 10 days is a time of longing for the return of the Lord, ultimate justice, the kingdom of God, to come and for the the marriage supper of the lamb to be inaugurated so father we just thank you so much